Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. Susan G is Head of Wellbeing and Occupational Health for Yorkshire Water and is a highly regarded expert on stress and wellbeing. She talks in this podcast about how work has been proven to be good for people and that we need to ensure that we make mental well-being at work as important as physical well-being. Susan has a wealth of knowledge on this subject and really understands the role that effective leadership has on our mental health. Have a listen. Hi Susan, thanks for joining me today. Oh yes, it's great, great to be asked as always, thank you. Pleasure. Um, You uh, wrote a section for my book, Leading Through Uncertainty. You wrote a section for the chapter called Stress and Overwhelm. Um, And you are somebody that I regard very highly as somebody who really understands stress and overwhelm from your own experience in um, Yorkshire Water in occupational health. Um, And you've spoken at tons of conferences and and you're you know you really are regarded very highly in this but what was it that made you write a section for the book why why is this topic so important well I think a lot of it is because it it seems to be an emerging theme Um, I think if you look at the fact that the black report um, kicked things off in a way although it was sort of in the background if you like the whole thing about stress in the workplace. It had been alluded to prior to the Black Report of 2008. Can you just explain what the Black Report is for those so the who Bla- don't yeah, know? Right. So the Black Report was written by uh, now Dame Carol Black. Uh, she wasn't a, a dame at the time, but she was commissioned by the government to look into the whole thing. The report was called Fit for Work. So the idea of that was to look at the impact of, of uh, work on health and health on work and the, what were the barriers to people being at work and what was the potential essential um, detriment, if you like, of work. And, and one of the conclusions that she came up with uh, was that the research demonstrates that bad work, in, in other words, work that's not well organised, that's not well thought out, that probably doesn't pin into the biopsychosocial model of health. In other words, it looks at you know the physiology of the person against the environment that they're working in and the job that they're doing. Um, that bad work that's not organised well has um, is as bad as having no work at all. So the overarching view is that work is good for people. It allows people to have an economic health. That economic health then allows them to interact with their own families. You know, support themselves. You know, to keep a roof over their head, to interact uh, with social things, and interact in the wider society. So. Prior to that, all of that was, if you look even further back, and I won't go too far into it, uh, 1992 was the Health of a Nation, uh, which was, again, a government paper that looked at, um, you know, public health agenda and, and at the time alluded to work and, and how that impacted on society. But Black's report really launched the whole wellness industry as we see it and know it now Mm -hmm. so from that she talked very much about uh, how good work impacted on physical health and psychological health we know from a raft of academia uh, academia uh, medical research and academic research uh, things particularly into leadership and styles that there's a comorbidity between physical and psychological health so one 
one tends to come at, you know, if you don't have an equilibrium, then you, you like it to get a detriment in one, which mm -hmm. ultimately will pin into the other. So from that, we got all of the wellness, um, you know, uh, things came into being. And I think the thing about the Black Report was that it, it didn't, it didn't actually set down things that had to be done. It, it was very much went on the corporate social responsibility argument, very much about what morally and ethically businesses ought to be doing. And I think now, you know, that uh, 11 years on from that from that report, she did do a review in 2011 with David Frost, uh, not the broadcaster David Frost, but um, the, the researcher, about, uh, th there was a follow-on from it, but essentially, now it's moved more from an aspiration of this would be a nice thing to do, mm. um, you know, in, into the Stevenson Farmer Review, for example, 2017, being, being actually saying we need to demonstrate that we're doing it. Mm. So it's moved beyond that. So I, when I, I got asked to write the piece about it, I suppose I wanted to emphasise the fact that essentially... Um, and this isn't an original quote. I've got to confess that I, uh, I think I read this in the editorial of the um, Artwork Partnership um, uh, magazine. You can't yoga your way out of a toxic workplace. Yeah. You know, so, so the fact is, the basics of it all, if we really go back, mm. the basics of it all are, are all there in the 1974 Health and Safety at Work Act, the, the requirement, the legal requirement to, to provide good work. Mm. good work that is safe work that is well thought out and so when you look at stress in the workplace I think there's a number of reasons um, why uh, the world of work has changed the obvious ones being um, you, know, did, you know computers uh, I, I remember starting work at the council and uh, in 1996 and asking our manager if we were going to be using computers and he quote said um i don't think we'll be having any of that nonsense Susan. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't see it having uh, longevity so it's interesting i think you know uh, I, I, and as that as it seems the whole globalization piece so at one time you know when i started work for example in the 70s you would barely have known working in an office in bradford what was going on in leeds never mm. mind what was going on in california yeah communities were local weren't they and, yeah and, and that was the thing and i think so the way that work's done and in some respects what's fascinating about the fact that we all feel more stressed by work and if we look at the argument there's 168 hours in a week uh, 48 of them at the weekend and allegedly 37 max of them and allowing for a bit of overtime is all that work takes up and mm. yet it's it doesn't pivotable. feel like that yeah it's yeah. become pivotable pivotal to people's mental health yeah um you know and they and they are reporting that that work in some instances is actually the thing that's causing the most stress in their lives mm. when actually you know it, it's i think it's the great dolly Parton who said you know we should we shouldn't get so busy making a living that we forget to have a life mm -hmm. and that the whole point of work is that it adds quality mm -hmm. to us so i think we need to move away from the victorian principles which is what i alluded to in your book of you know that when you clock into a workplace you don't become your employer's property mm -hmm. and it is a nonsense now in this day and age to expect that people will clock in and forget about the life outside mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. there's so many things to influence them and I think there's a 
there's a, a lack at this point of whilst there is a general discussion about the impact of you know uh, globalization and uh, national issues and all of that kind of thing it's almost like being stood at a bonfire really i don't think we're truly understanding how much mm -hmm. um external events really permeate into people and how much people bring that into the workplace and then when you consider the change in the pace of uh, technology and the fact that we've got four generations in the workplace now mm. I think uh, and I think to some extent each generation can be done a disservice in a way you know because I think there's a from a people of my generation the older one that you might think well it's easy for the young ones because they're on board with the technology etc but to some extent they might have the education and they might have the technological skills but they don't have the experience mm. which they need from us and you know so yeah. there's a but the, but there's kind of a, a subliminal fear factor mm. across it you know and and what businesses are expected uh, to do yeah, um, and, and it's interesting because you know you talked a minute ago about um, safety, and we tend to think about physical safety yeah. in the work, and you know, and particularly you know in Yorkshire Water, I'm guessing that you talk about physical safety all of the time because it's it's fairly obvious what that means, and you know, and certainly in manufacturing environments um, and and construction, physical safety is always high on the agenda for good reason. But in, you know, financial services or, you know, people that are in offices, it's not just physical safety, it's it's our emotional safety as well, isn't it? That, that's oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think here at Yorkshire Water, you know, we've, we, I have to say, I'm, uh, you know, very proud to be associated and part of the wider safety function. It's, mm. You know, we're not a standalone as occupational health. I am part of a, a, a much bigger safety team that incorporates process safety, operational safety. There's the, uh, the there's the process safety in terms of all the policies and procedures, etc. And we've we've really worked hard to make sure that our people are properly trained, that and that we've also considered the impact um, of psychological health on people's ability to do work well. So, for example, we've mandated. Um, mental health first aid training for all of our managers yeah I mean I think you're one of the first companies to be doing and that I don't think I know of and I, you know I may be wrong but I don't know of another company that that's doing it as a mandatory thing and you could you could argue well why would you mandate that well the part of the reason is because one I don't believe you can think what you don't know so in other words some people naturally have a you know um an attitude or, or a leaning towards the, the softer skills, if you like, that managers might need, uh, more empathy, uh, more sort of interactive style, which is fine. That's not to say people who don't naturally have it are, are not good managers, mm, but mm. I think if you consider that your most valuable assets and ours, you know, we've got tons of uh, reservoirs, but for me, sounds cliche, but the, the reservoir of talent, the people who actually come to work to make it all work are the, is the one that really needs to be maintained. So we put that in so that we didn't just get people who were naturally interested in it yeah. moving towards it because it's important that every manager has, a, has some knowledge of the impact. And again, I like to work from an evidence base. If you look at the academic evidence base, I think it's 42% um, of, of employees you know, value the relationship between them and their manager. And if that's not right, mm. if you can't fundamentally get the really 
uh, niche things right about how you communicate with mm. your staff. You're not mm. going to get the big stuff right. Mm. You know, so we mandated it to make sure that people, even if they're not interested in it, we're saying you are a people manager and therefore you need to know about this. We're not trying to turn them into um, quasi psychiatric nurses either in doing that. We've also introduced stress risk assessments um, for um, for teams. And this is where we get people, teams of people to look at the roles that they're in and uh, and what is the potential for stress within the role. So essentially the employee becomes a voice of the role, if you like. Okay. So the, the idea is, and this isn't about personal preference of me particularly, I have to confess that spreadsheets make me feel ill and that's a fact and <laughs> um, it's true <laughs> and I've got CSE grade 5 in maths uh, so that is not a good skill set of mine but actually that's a really small component so I might mm. say well that would make me stressed but actually it's about the impact and when we do that we're looking at the if you like the cross correlation of how the whole organisation is interdependent on each other, on each part of it. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know we're at a time where we're talk, we're starting to talk about mental health. There's still a massive stigma around it, but we've always had mental health. We've just not always considered it. We've always had good or bad. We're somewhere along the spectrum of good or bad physical health and and mental health. We've just not always talked about it. So we're talking more about it, which is great. There's a lot more support. Why? Why then is it? Do you think that we've got, despite all of the things that people are doing and that companies are now doing and all of the training that's happening around resilience, why then is it that people seem to be more stressed than ever before? I, th I think in part because it's still, as I say, I would I would not consider that the... the the, uh, the launch of the Black Report to be the absolute birthing, if you like, of the well-being, wellness, mental health agenda. But I do think it's the thing that really brought it to prominence. Mm. And I think mm. if you look at it, we've come an awful long way, but it's actually in its infancy. This is an emer it's still an emerging market. And I do think that there's, um, there's still an, a misunderstanding about, you know, well-being. For me, well-being is is about right from the foundations of the organisation that it's, it understands its aims and purposes, that the building blocks of it are in place. So it's 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 almost engaging in the employee life cycle. Right from recruitment, we should be considering the impact of how we interact with people coming into our organisation, how they're going to be supported, and actually that links really for a long established like you know the uh, the HSE's model of uh, the understanding stress and impact at work management standards etc and right back to the health and safety at work act so I think it's an emerging theme but but you need to get the basics right and I still think a lot of people think well you know we're going to offer this intervention and and health promotion is, is a very important arm of well-being, but it isn't well-being mm. in, its, in, mm. in, its, in isolation mm. because it's, it's part of a whole. So, you know, if you've not got work that's well-organised and, you know, you've got people who are not working in good environments, they're not being supported by managers who know how to interact with them, um, you know, or if the purposes are, are, are not clear, then suggesting that people, you know, might want to partake in some 
in, in work activities, you know, or we're going to have a, a theme in the canteen about healthy eating. None of that is going to have any impact mm. if, if fundamentally it's sitting on top of something that's not actually quite Yeah, because right. it becomes another thing to worry about, doesn't it? Is it if you've and, got yeah. a huge amount of workload that is actually not doable yeah. and you've got constant pressure from whether it's from clients or suppliers or your boss or or in a team that's toxic, or whatever it is that's creating work stress, being told to eat fruit in the canteen, or you know, go out, go a, out and it, exercise, yeah. it's, it's sticking plaster, it's isn't a, it? It's a, it's a di- it, it might be a welcome diversion, but ultimately, um, you know, it's it's like an infection, really. Mm. If I think about it in medical terms, you know, if you don't get all of it out, mm. then it will never heal mm. properly, you know. And I think as well that, that we've got to be realistic about what's achievable in workplaces. Workplaces bring together diverse groups of people, people to some extent who might never cross each other's paths, mm. you know, all sorts of shapes and sizes and ages and ranges and, you know, backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, all sorts of things come together. So I do think as well we do need to be realistic sometimes about how far we can go with things you know because there's always we're never going to reach a a nirvana where we've got a perfect workplace because there's always going to be things that shift and shape within it so do you think that we need to be upskilling our leadership and communication and and team skills then to support people given that we've got those different cultures in a way we need to be able to communicate differently because you know going back to your point of uh, you know, we're sat here in Bradford in an office that used to be only people in Bradford and you never thought out, you know, outside of that community. But now you're having to think about how do you say things in a way that isn't disrespectful to others who are, have got different cultural ba- backgrounds or different needs or different perspectives. That all, is, Does all of that create some stress because we have to consider how we how we say things and how we interact in a way that we perhaps haven't done before because we're quite tribal aren't we naturally as human beings it's a wider audience piece i mean again you know um i would say i've been very fortunate at yorkshire water insofar as um there's been demonstrated uh buying from our senior leaders Mm. from our board from our uh from our ceo so i've been i've been quite lucky with that and I, but I do think it does start there that you know people um do look to mirror behavior and and, and it's the age-old age adage isn't it if the, mm. you know if people who are in charge of you um are doing it or or telling you to do it then you're more likely to do it really mm. but you can rarely push these things from the bottom up mm. so I do think there's a there's a great need um for, for leaders to be to, to be seen to be living the experience as far as they possibly can. Mm. But when it all comes down to it, it's really about communication. It's mm. about how, and it sounds so cliched, but it is about basic human interaction. Because mm. you can have the most beautiful offices and the most beautiful landscape site and, um, you know, and, and, and state-of-the-art computers and, and, and everything to do. But if people can't get along... Mm. And when I say get along, sometimes it's not, because rarely have I met, and I've, I've, I've been in nursing for 40 years, so I've met a lot of people. Um, I think rarely do people's, it's people's intention to not get along mm. or mm. To, to miscommunicate. It's yeah. not anybody's, no. uh, it's not where you set out to go. No. But, so you have to think sometimes, you know, gosh, how did it get so 
badly wrong. Mm. And that's the thing. And I, and I suppose that's and how where... do we develop the skills so that we can be with each other's different perspectives and opinions in a way that we haven't had to in the past. And, and you go back to, for me, which again is why we mandated the mental health um, course, is because you can't think what you don't know. So yeah. we tend to know what we know and we tend to like to stick to what we know because it, it feels safe. Even mm. if it, And if we don't know that there's a different way, mm. then... You, you can't change it, mm. but you can make a different decision if you've been exposed to things that helps expand your thinking. Mm. So you consider your impact because, you know, I always think you can say what you want to anybody if you can deal with the reaction. Mm. And a lot of it is goes right back to fundamental basics of, uh, and I suppose it leads into your, you know, because uh, I've been fortunate enough to come to your place and um, and meet your wonderful horses. And although I'm not horsey myself, I do like to look at them, I don't get on them. Um, you know, I did see firsthand that point that, you, you know, you, you can hold the rein of a horse and you can talk to it in a soft tone, but it isn't moving an inch mm. without the right communication. Mm. And obviously you can't, you know, and that's exactly what happens at work, isn't it? Yeah. And the frustration that gets created yeah. from not being able to get people... I mean, one of the things that I hear people say the most is, when I say, what's your biggest challenge? They'll say, I just need people to just get on and do what they need to do. Um, and, and and that comes down yeah. to communication, and, and it's not often, that easy. Yeah, they often feel like they've actually expressed that quite clearly. But mm. actually, when you go back and unpick what was what someone thinks they heard. And that's the other thing, you know, I, I, I always, I call it kind of the hostage game, really, where you imagine when you're telling somebody something that they have the ability to, to take you prisoner, if you like, at the point of that the, the, they don't like what you're saying. Because we all know it, and I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it myself, the minute that I start to perceive a negative coming towards me, you know, you slow down your listening and you, you're pricking up your ears, ready mm. for them shutting up so you can interject with mm. the truth, yeah. as you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You know, and, and you become defensive. It's natural to mm. do that. Mm. So we've got to, you know, find a way to communicate things. And sometimes they can be difficult things in a way that people can hear them and reflect, you know. So we've got to evolve what it is to be a human being in the workplace, really, haven't we? To yeah. to deal with the stresses and strains yeah, I think we do. Of, of everyday life. One of the things that I'm noticing with um, with teams and with leaders is that pretty much everybody, I mean, we've all done these various different psychometric tests in the, in the past that show you how you perform normally and how you perform under pressure. Mm. Um, what I'm noticing is that Pretty much everybody's constantly under pressure. I, I rarely meet somebody that's not under pressure anymore. What do you think we can do or should do around around that? Because if we've got everybody operating permanently under stress, it's like a time bomb, isn't it? Just ticking. Well, again, I think what you've got to do is go back to understanding it. And, and as I say, for us, we've introduced the, the team stress risk assessment. I'm saying introduced, mm. we've been doing them for two or three years. But it's really understanding, you know, how you're organising the work and why people are under pressure, why they perceive they are. But it's also, uh, I suppose, having a workplace where people feel able to express, you know, their opinion and the frustrations because that's another easy thing to do and to say, well, you know, I've got an, we've all got open doors here and anybody can speak. But actually, 
it, it really is meaning that, isn't it? You know, so well, yeah, and it's, it's have you actually got the time? You know, that might be the policy, but when push comes to shove, have you got the time to listen? And again, I think that's where you know you've got to be careful with um, with, with the whole well-being initiatives and things like that, because not everything can be done in people's lunch hour. Mm. It can't be done before work or after work. So I think you've got to try and strike a balance between the fact that you are a business you are there to operate as a business mm. but ultimately um you know certainly in our well-being strategy the idea is we want the business to sustain obviously um but equally we do not want anyone to suffer a detriment mm. uh, either physically psychologically or both as a result of of uh, their efforts to help uh, with our business sustainability so we you know we've looked uh, far and wide into a raft of, of um, as I say, things that are really bedding down us, making sure that we're offering safe work, good work, mm. that we've got managers who understand the responsibilities, who are supportive. So there's lots of things before we get to the bit where you know we're doing the enhancements of health promotion. Yeah. But I think it's a moving face, to be honest. I don't think anybody's ever going to get to a point where you can say. You know, you, you can only ever say you're doing your best. And, mm. and well, as the workplace is just evolving exponentially, isn't it? I mean, technology yeah. is driving rapid change. I was talking to somebody yesterday about um, he'd been in the workplace for 40 years and when he first started, he would send a letter and wait five days for a response. And now he's got 6.30 a.m. He's got 15 emails that determine how his day is going to go. And, and the bliss of it, if only we have to say. <laughs> or the bliss of waiting yeah. five days. Well, the bliss <laughs> of the fact that you could, you know, one of the reasons that you could extend your deadline was because you missed the last post, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, I mean, it gave everybody some breathing room. And, mm. and I think as well, you know, it's that point that, you know, it's become quite competitive around that, you know. So, so technology has, has assisted a lot obviously yeah, of course. but equally and it has increased a pace that I'm not sure we've all caught up with mm, yet mm. really you know well we haven't had the brain chip upgrade have we no I think I think ultimately when when social history looks back at this period of time since the you know uh, millennia the 2000 and up to this first 20 years of the workplace after that um the change is massive and rapid and in many respects it's exciting but it's also frightening really mm. because you know and the fact that people you know are, are now working a lot longer than they were and happy to do so mm. in some respects mm. some people are I mm. think you know not not sort of getting to 55 and winding down yeah yeah to, and, and, and equally because they can't all you know so to some extent there's, a, there's such a lot of unknown and that mm. um you know, again, if, if we go back to your book about leading through uncertainty, that is the period that I think we are in, is, is uncertainty about what it's all going to look like. Yeah. And particularly around when you think about corporate social responsibility and responsible businesses and ethical businesses, this has taken on a much meatier, mm. you know, uh, it's, it's not a flimsy dressing anymore, no. is it, of saying we run a, you know, a, a business that considers the communities it works in, mm. its impact on wider society, where it's adding value, you know, because people are interested now. You know. Well, and the millennials coming in are, de are demanding that, aren't they? They're asking for work that is, 
you know, has a purpose. They're wanting to know what the CSR policy is. You know, they're they're demanding some of the things that and perhaps we should have done 20, 30 and years the ago. Thing is they're not scared. They're not scared to. Um, you know, they're not they're not trapped by a contract. Insofar as you know, they're not scared to move on. Mm. I suppose one of the difficulties. When I say difficulties, um, you know, again, if I think about you know the seventies and even the early eighties, if 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 you said I'm you know I'm, I'm going to go and take a job at, you know, if you worked in Bradford, if somebody said, I'm going to go work in York, you might as well have said, my God, you know, I'm going to commute to Ireland every day, mm -hmm. because it wasn't, you know, people just didn't, whereas, yeah. you know. Whereas now people do commute to Ireland and, every and, day. And, <laughs> and, and arguably, some people, you know, work on other continents. Mm. When, when I think about global companies, mm -hmm. you know, companies mm -hmm. that work across the world mm. and in multiple locations yeah. you know it, it's mind-boggling well i mean really. i had four years where i was in a different country every week wow was, yeah <laughs> and that's the thing you know so so i think there's lots and lots of things now that are, that are changing because people um don't have to put up with it mm. really mm. you know the, 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 mm. there's a move to do things in a different way so it's an interesting time uh, i think certainly from an occupational health point of view the whole occupational health piece is massively changed because of course whilst there are still and it's interesting now that the hsc's uh, main priorities at the moment are musculoskeletal um occupational um lung disease and and stress the mental health piece um but largely a lot of the things that were in the traditional industries you know around that created concerns in occupational health circles have been usurped now by the 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 new issues which is well, say new musculoskeletal issues, but now the whole mental health piece. And I think the Stevenson Farmer review, as I alluded to earlier, um, I think more and more there is going to be a need to actually demonstrate what you're doing because mm. at the end of the day, I, the societal impact of, of mental health being damaged, if that's the right word, mm. in the workplace mm. and the output that then has on society once people have been put outside the workplace because, you know, um, if they leave through ill health, getting back into the employment it can be really difficult, mm. um, you know, and actually somebody has got to pick up the pieces and mm. that is the wider society you know so i think yeah i mean we're no longer it hopefully most of the time you know injuries in factories and construction and and physical injuries have substantially reduced haven't they but actually we've yeah. got another phenomenon that's going on right now which is we're burning people out exactly and and to some extent of course and again it is the cliche which has always been bandied about you know if somebody had a broken leg you can see it but you can't always see it when, when it's a mental health thing, you know, mm. so we need to be able to spot the signs early. Mm. Uh, and that's got to be a collective and group effort from mm. uh, my perspective. Well, Susan, I reckon we could talk on this all day because there's so we... much, there's so much there. Um, one final question for you, though. What keeps you awake at night? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I don't know. From a workplace point of view, well, I don't think anything really from a workplace point of view, you know, uh, again, you know, I'm a I'm a nurse by by trade, and I'm still a nurse even though I'm, I'm in occupational health. So, as as Disney-esque as this might sound, I I at the end of every day, I think you know I've done the right thing for the people that I've interacted with, the you know, as I call them, the patients that I've seen. Um, and it, and 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 if I if they were my family and if I really loved them, 
um, would it be enough? You know, so I want mm. to make de de generally want to make a difference. Um, That's a great philosophy for I think for any manager at the end of the day to say, have I done right by the people? Well, I, do, I, do, I genuinely do because you know at the end of the day, you know we're all trying to make a living, we're all trying to get on through life. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to work in a good company and you know work with good people, and I am, then you want to be able to make a difference. And that's about you know being objective, about being fair, and going back to the basic premise that you know that is a, another human being in front of you. Mm. You know, you owe them a basic respect and to do the right thing. And you know, which is uh, so that it doesn't keep me awake at night, but obviously. Again, I, I suppose I allude to the fact of the technology. I now, you know, I, I try to keep up to date with things and read things and be aware of things and you know all of that kind of stuff. But um, no, uh, nothing, nothing else really, other than mm. my expanding and thickening waistline. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, thank you. Thank you very much. Wasn't Susan amazing? I love the question that she asks herself at the end of each day: Have I done right by the people today? Such an important question that I think all leaders could be asking themselves. Susan has decades of experience in the workplace and she's really well read on the topic of physical and emotional well-being. She really understands the impact of work on our well-being across all the four generations in the workplace. She's right at the forefront driving change to improve our well-being at work. And I love her take that ultimately it comes down to basic communication and getting on with other people. That's so much easier said than done. But clearly, Susan is leading the way in Yorkshire Water. And I think there are so many things that everyone, every leader and every company can learn from her. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm -hmm.